Deep in the unexplored foothills of the Ozark Mountains lives a creature that only few have seen. Arkansans say that this solitary beast has been around for generations. It has never been known to harm humans, but its sight is still quite terrifying. Hopefully it will always remain hidden in its place in the wilderness, living a quiet, peaceful life. But if civilization continues to grow, and we humans continue to invade his home, who knows what he may be capable of. Welcome to Freaky Folklore, the podcast where we discover the horrifying legends across the world and tell terrifying tales of monsters both ancient and modern. This week we are discussing the legend of Boggy Creek, or the Boggy Creek Monster as some of you may have heard it called. This show is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network. Find more terrifying tales at EerieCast.com and be sure to follow us on Spotify or your favorite podcasting service. You can leave us an honest review on iTunes too. The more we get, the more we grow, and hopefully the more monsters we can explore. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to CarmenCarrion at gmail.com. That is C-A-R-M-A-N-C-A-R-R-I-O-N at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Ethan was listening to the radio at full blast coming out of Texas. He had been driving for what seemed like 12 hours, though it was probably more like 4 or 5. He was traveling to southern Arkansas to spend time with his younger brother James. They had been very close growing up, and had been that way most of their way through adulthood. Then a few years earlier, without warning, James had bought a small tire shop in Arkansas and just moved away. At the time, it didn't seem like the most financially sound decision. James had just broken up with his girlfriend of eight years. Ethan assumed he just needed something different, a change of scenery to mend his broken heart. James had been severely depressed the weeks following the breakup. So Ethan played the role of supporting Big Brother and told him to just go, even though he knew he would be losing the person he considered to be his best friend. After the move, the brothers hadn't spoken much other than the odd phone call occasionally. Then six months ago, their mother died from cancer. It had happened quickly and was unexpected. James had made the trip back down to Texas for the funeral. While in town, he stayed with Ethan for a couple of days and begged him to come up to Arkansas for a visit. He argued that Ethan had never seen his place and it would do them both some good to be around family more often, as their father had passed several years earlier and now it was just them. Thinking it would be better if James just moved back home and assuming eventually he would, Ethan had put the trip off. He had a wife and two kids to support and didn't think it would make much sense to leave them and go off to Arkansas for a week. James continued to call and even Ethan's own wife had started telling him to go and spend time with his brother. So he finally took a vacation week, threw a few things in his truck, and was headed to Arkansas. The trip was proving to feel longer than he had thought it would. He answered this problem by cranking up the music and pushing the gas pedal a little harder than normal to make up some time. Once he had passed through the last town, the businesses and houses were being replaced by trees and wilderness. There seemed to be a never-ending supply of dilapidated houses and decaying barns. Ethan wondered to himself why anyone would choose to live here. 
He could only guess that it was less by choice and more by being born and raised here. As he continued to drive, he drifted off into a daze thinking about his mother, how she had always been the fabric that held the family together. Now it was just James and himself, and they would really have to work at maintaining a relationship from this distance. As he was thinking, he passed a sign that read Folk, Arkansas. He soon realized this was the town he was looking for. The GPS said he had two more miles to go, but he couldn't even believe this place even covered a two-mile radius. A quick left down a ragged road and down a little way more, and he was there. He saw the blue truck that his brother drove sitting in the driveway of a rough-looking single-wide trailer. James ran out on the partially enclosed porch before Ethan could turn off his engine. Smiling from ear to ear, he gave a very enthusiastic wave. Ethan got out and was greeted with, Damn, I see you finally made it. I was beginning to think you got lost. Ethan pulled off his hat and brushed his fingers through his hair. Thank God I finally did. I was beginning to think that I was hearing banjos. James had put on quite a bit of weight, and his appearance was less than kept. In a pair of overalls with a scraggly beard and old boots, he was a shadow of his former self. Not to mention his porch was covered in old junk, a weed eater, and lawnmower parts along with an old washing machine. It looked like they had been sitting there for years, long forgotten just like their owner's self-pride. It was the face and the look of a man who had a hard go of it. Ethan grabbed his bags and stepped up on the porch to receive a very tight hug from his brother. After a few minutes of small talk, James welcomed him in and told him to throw his bags wherever he wanted. The house was about as clean as expected, giving it belonged to a man who lived by himself and had been grieving alone. James, seeing the look on Ethan's face, made the comment that he would have to excuse the place because the housekeeper was on vacation. Ethan forgave his cliché comment because he knew how hard the last months must have been. He answered back and simply said he didn't come to inspect the house. Changing the subject quickly, he asked what the plan was now that he had gotten there. It was still early in the evening, and he figured they could find something to do outside for a while. Something to shake the awkwardness so he could get a little more settled in. Well, I figured I might take you down to the creek to do a little fishing, assuming you don't get to do much of that back home. Ethan had never been much of a fisherman but did enjoy the camaraderie of it to some extent, and it would give them something to do while they got their emotional bearings and caught back up on life. Soon Ethan had an old fishing rod stuck in his hand and they were off. James warned him it was a little bit of a walk, but it would be a good way for Ethan to just see how peaceful and beautiful it was there. As it turned out, he was right. While walking, they started to talk about their mom and dad and some of the old memories they both shared. Ethan looked around and it felt like he was a thousand miles from anywhere. It was just him and his brother. He could see where he might be in danger of relaxing just enough to sort through some of his own thoughts and feelings. Being somewhere quiet enough to focus on one thought was a commodity he was not normally afforded in his life back home. Soon he could smell the water just in time for James to say, we're almost there. They got close enough to see the creek with its muddy brown water. The bank was a little steep and the grass was pretty grown up around it. The spot they had walked to was one of very few open areas where the trees and thicket was forgiving enough to let them through. Noticing there wasn't a good place to sit without getting muddy, Ethan found himself wishing they had brought chairs. 
but he followed suit with James and just remained standing while setting up his line. James spoke first. I'm not sure if anything will be biting today, as he used his teeth to snap off the excess line from his rig. With a mindful cast, he continued by saying, Only one way to find out. Soon they both had fishing lines in the water and were talking about James' life. His intimate life seemed to be rather comical in a negative sense. Tales of what the dating life was like and the kinds of people you could meet online. He was talking about his new interests and where he thought the relationship might be going when his phone rang. He looked at the screen and said, Speak of the devil. With a grin, he stood up, put his phone to his ear and walked away. Ethan rolled his eyes. He thought to himself so much for peaceful woodsy serenity. He reeled his line in and recast closer to the further bank. He started to slip into thoughts of his mother and how happy she would be to see them laughing together. For only an instant, or maybe more, he took a deep breath and the tense stress and grief seemed to melt away. One of the few moments in his adult life where it felt as though a minute of solitude and thought could undo years of rushing and feeling like you're trapped in a pressure cooker. It didn't last long, though as he heard James walking back from a good distance away. Ethan wondered how on earth he could have walked so far so fast. Then he heard sticks breaking with a force that had to be deliberate. Soon it was clear that this was much larger than a human. Ethan suddenly caught an odor that was foul but foreign to his senses. He began to look around and feel a little uneasy. The sounds of full-on tree branches were cracking, and it was getting louder, which meant that it was getting closer. Trying to imagine what this could be, Ethan was starting to get a little scared. He wanted to yell for his brother, but was afraid he might catch the attention of whatever was coming. He held very still and very quiet. That's when he saw what he believed he couldn't have as something broke through the trees about 40 yards down the bank. It looked large enough to be a bear standing on its hind legs, though too slim, and its hair was definitely too long to be a bear. This episode is sponsored by Athletic Greens. I started taking AG1 because lately I've had trouble with a lack of energy, focus, and alertness. But now I feel more aware and invigorated. AG1 is a drink mix with 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens which support gut health, your nervous system, immune system, energy, and more. I drink AG1 every morning for breakfast. It helps me stay focused on work throughout the day. Plus, it has a delicious, mild, tropical taste, making it easy to drink. I even look forward to it, and so does my husband. For less than $3 a day, you're investing in your health with a lifestyle-friendly mix, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. Plus, your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is very important for the lack of sunlight in winter months. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash folklore. Again, that is athleticgreens.com forward slash folklore 
to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Ape-man-like creatures have been spotted from the west coast of British Columbia to Northern California, and a few have even been seen throughout North America. We have heard them called by many different names and each region and state with these frequent sightings have their own personal version of the beast. A small town in southern Arkansas has its own legend and they call it the Boggy Creek Monster. In the area of Folk, Arkansas, in Miller County southeast of Texarkana and 150 miles south of Little Rock lives this monster. In the sparsely populated forested hills of the Ozarks, the Boggy Creek Monster also referred to as the folk monster, has been a legend in the area since the 1840s. It is said that folk is the first place that the cryptid was spotted. According to legend, the Boggy Creek Monster stands between 7 and 8 feet tall on 2 feet and weighs close to 300 pounds. Its chest, legs, and arms are covered in thick, long hair, and it has a pungent, animal-like odor. The Arkansas version of this beast has it only killing chickens, livestock, and dogs in the area, but has never been known to harm humans. The first reported sighting goes all the way back to 1834, when people began to report a large hairy wild man was roaming around Arkansas. In the 1900s, sightings around folk became more frequent, residents spotting the monster more than 40 times in 1997 alone. It has been suggested that the animal is nocturnal, but a hunter reported a sighting in broad daylight in the Sulphur River Wildlife Area near Folk in 2000. In the late 1860s, the beast allegedly harassed two families living outside Folk, and the legend quickly spread. In 1973, the tale of the Boggy Creek Monster was made into an extremely poor, low-budget movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek. In 1997, there were more than 40 sightings of the Boggy Creek creature, and in 1998, reports said that the hairy beast was seen walking along a dry creek bed about five miles south of town. The Boggy Creek Monster has been the subject of at least four different films, beginning with 1973's The Legend of Boggy Creek. This movie centered around Bobby Ford's supposed encounter with the beast, played in drive-in theaters around the country, and introduced millions to the legend. Mostly shot on location in Folk, but with additional scenes filmed in Texarkana and Shreveport, Louisiana, the film also served as a major economic boost to the region. Many cast members were locals or nearby college students. The famous encounter that the film is based on occurred in 1971. Bobby and Elizabeth Ford claimed that the Boggy Creek Monster attacked their home late on the night of May 1st. The monster, Elizabeth said, reached through her screen window, but was chased away by Bobby and Dan, his brother, who had just returned from a hunting trip. Unsatisfied, the monster returned shortly after midnight and tossed Bobby to the ground. Bobby was taken to the St. Michael Hospital in Texarkana and treated for large gashes across his back. He was suffering from mild shock when he arrived, according to newspaper reports. Although no traces of blood were found at the Ford's home, Three-toed footprints were found near the house. There were scratches on the porch, and the siding and a window were both damaged. Many have argued the reported sightings of the Boggy Creek Monster are actually sightings of black bears, misidentified. Although black bears are not bipedal, they can rear up on two feet. 
Some weigh up to 400 pounds and stand six feet tall. To capitalize on the Boggy Creek legend, Peavy's Monster Mart sells souvenirs and trinkets based on the beast and has even erected a large wooden cutout outside of the store where visitors and tourists can take pictures of themselves as the Boggy Creek Monster. One month after the Ford sighting, Southern State College, now known as Southern Arkansas University, archaeologist Frank Schambach determined that there is a 99% chance that the tracks are a hoax. According to Schambach, the tracks could not be from a species of ape, as claimed by witnesses, because they were from a three-toed creature, whereas all primates, including hominids, have five toes. In addition to the number of toes, Schambach cited several other anomalies as part of his conclusion. The region had no history of primate activity, ruling out the possibility of the creature being the remnants of an indigenous species. All primates are completely diurnal, as the folk monster was reported to be nocturnal. By 1986, the mayor of Folk, Virgil Roberts, and former Miller County Sheriff Leslie Greer believed the alleged folk monster tracks were man-made. Greer's working colleague at the time, Chief Deputy H.L. Phillips, said that he had not taken calls regarding the monster in years. He does not believe the creature exists, stating, I don't believe in it, but I'd say you don't argue with people who say they've seen it. Many were respectable folks and responsible folks. A quote from Skeptoid Podcast concludes, In total, Every last shred of evidence that the folk monster exists at all is anecdotal. Not a single piece is testable. The folk monster fits very poorly with the model of a living animal, but fits very well with a local legend. The 1972 film The Legend of Boggy Creek that I mentioned earlier was the first in a series of three Boggy Creek films, loosely based on the legendary monster of southwest Arkansas. The film, shot as a faux-documentary-style drama, centers on the real town of Folk. Since the 1940s, many sightings of the creature known as the Folk Monster have been reported. The film presents an interesting portrait of Southern swamp culture in the 1970s by contrasting interviews with local citizens, ranging from police officers to hunters, talking about their experiences with the creature with dramatic recreations of some of these purported encounters. According to witnesses, the creature is like Bigfoot, standing more than six feet tall and covered with hair. Many claim they have fired upon it, and although some say it is dead, others think it is still alive. Long before the idea of independent film became popular, Pierce financed the film independently of Hollywood by borrowing $160,000 from a trucking company and using an old camera. He used locals as actors, Many of the people he interviewed played themselves and talked about their experiences. He utilized many shots of local foliage to capture the look and the feel of the purported creature's habitat. After its release, the film became a drive-in hit, grossing more than $20 million. A sequel, Return to Boggy Creek, was released in 1977. Directed by television director Tom Moore and written by John David Woody, the film had little to do with its predecessor. Return centers on a woman, played by Dawn Wells of Gilligan's Island, and her three daughters who are lost in a swamp along with two men. In this telling, the creature comes to the family's aid. 
Pierce also wrote, directed, and starred in The Barbaric Beast of Boggy Creek, the third Boggy Creek film. In Beast, Pierce plays University of Arkansas and Fayetteville Professor Brian C. Doc Lockhart, who, along with his students, searches for the creature that still haunts Boggy Creek. Though it is the third film in the series, Pierce subtitled this film Boggy Creek because he had nothing to do with the second film. Beast features several recognizable shots of the University of Arkansas, including footage from a Razorbacks game. Pierce's son played Lockhart's son in the movie. On May 9th and 15th, 1999, Beast was featured on the cult favorite show Mystery Science Theater 3000, which presented heavily edited versions of B-movies accompanied by humorous commentary lampooning the films. From the University of Arkansas Library, I found the research of Tyler Dyer from the fall of 2020. Tyler, who graduated with a degree in art history, conducted research and assisted with digital exhibits and special collections, almost entirely remotely due to pandemic restrictions. According to Dyer, as autumn set in during the fall semester of her internship and the air was full of old suspicions and folktales, one that caught her attention was of the folk monster a Sasquatch that is rumored to wander throughout Arkansas. The giant hairy creature is named for the small town outside of which Tyler says no one in the entire state of Arkansas can seem to agree on how to pronounce correctly. The film uses the pronunciation Fook, which sounds like book. The town where the story began is called Folk, and is officially run out of confidence on the subject and avoids the name at all costs. Tyler says she was intrigued by the cryptozoological case that was literally in her backyard and picked it up for her special collections internship at the University of Arkansas. The creature goes by a variety of names, each stemming from one or more of a combination of the following three. The Folk Monster, the Arkansas Sasquatch, or the Boggy Creek Monster. It is a humanoid ape covered in dark brown hair with only three toes on each foot and large glowing red eyes. Tyler found in her research that eyewitness accounts say he weighs around 800 pounds at about 10 feet tall. He is also said to smell like a wet dog who has gotten into a fight with a skunk, which I think would seriously compromise his ability to hide in a nearby bush to attack anyone. She wonders, how do you not see a Sasquatch that you could smell for at least a mile behind these skinny Arkansas trees? The forest is forgiving, but the Sasquatch is asking for too much. Tyler found that the sightings began in the area around folk in the 1940s. Since then, all the eyewitness accounts have been recorded in the two films by Charles B. Pierce. The first film, The Legend of Boggy Creek, 1972, focused more on how proud Arkansans were of being backwards compared to the rest of the world than the supernatural creature that was supposedly roaming around. She says the film was an hour and a half of 70s hillbilly with the folk monster showing up only occasionally to remind you that he was infringing on their lifestyle by walking by their outhouses. The highlights of the movie include an old man who lives in a shack on an island in the Sulphur River, bribing a teen to bring him tobacco and sugar bribing him with what, the film never specifies, and a young man trying to use the bathroom when the folk monster reaches for him through a window, then punching the man in the face after he runs outside. Tyler adds that she believed the man in the folk suit looked like an unidentifiable, slightly scary creature. 
She says that the docudrama, which was much more extreme than any ordinary dramatized documentary, argues that the creature does in fact exist and is just lashing out in lonely frustration, as the song for the film suggests in refrain. Perhaps he dimly wonders why. There's no other such as I, to touch, to love before I die, to listen to my lonely cry. This episode is sponsored by June's Journey. What is horror to you? Monsters, murder, mystery? Well, if human monsters are your thing, June's Journey is the game for you, albeit in a more lighthearted tone. June's Journey is a hidden object game with a thrilling murder mystery set in the Roaring Twenties. You play as June on the hunt for your sister's murderer. Discover clues through exciting hidden object scenes with beautiful and atmospheric illustrations and music. Victory brings you closer to new plot points and suspenseful answers. When not hunting for clues, you can customize your own luxurious estate island with gardens, buildings, and decor. Or chat and play with or against other players too in the Detective Club, where you could even put your skills to the test in the Detective League. June's journey is both relaxing and fun to play. With my busy schedule, I find it's the perfect game to pick up and play whenever I've got a free moment. It doesn't demand too much time, and it's pretty satisfying solving puzzles quickly and unlocking new clues. Can you crack the case? Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The creature, as Ethan would eventually call it, came to a halt. Its hair was reddish-brown and tangled with grass and sticks. Ethan now knew the horrid smell was coming from the direction that this creature was standing in. It bent down towards the water, as if to drink, and suddenly tilted its head in an upwards direction, nostrils straight up and twitching, like it had found an odor that was foreign to it. It immediately jerked its head and looked Ethan right in the eyes. Ethan stood just as still as he could, not knowing what might happen next. The beast stood up quickly while letting out a scream that sounded like no other. Ethan jumped and started to run hard, leaving his fishing rod and things behind. He heard a loud thump that could be felt in the ground just as well as he could hear it. Then another and another. His greatest fears had now been realized. The creature was chasing him. He could hear its raspy breathing while it was breaking tree limbs and smashing through anything that got in its way. The fear had built up in him so great that he wasn't even listening for the beast anymore. 
He was just running for his life. Suddenly, one foot ran into the other, and he tripped, falling down the creek bank and into the water. He was scrambling, trying to get to his feet, when he felt hands grab him by his shoulders. He looked up, terrified that this is how it was all going to end, mauled by a monster in the backwoods of Arkansas. But the face staring down at him was his brother's. He went so weak with relief that he fell backwards into the water, making a loud splash. What the hell is wrong with you? James asked, concern obvious in his eyes. I thought you got bit by a rattler or something. Dang, man, you scared the hell out of me. Ethan didn't want to tell his brother the truth. He didn't want to give his little brother any more fuel to make fun of him than he just had. But he didn't see any way around it. You aren't going to believe me, but I saw something back there. I thought it was you stomping through the woods at first. But then this huge, hairy, ape-looking thing stepped out of the woods, plain as day. He explained, expecting a smart-ass reply. He was shocked when James held a serious look and told him that he believed him. What you saw is a legend around here. Locals call it the Boggy Creek Monster, or the Folk Monster. Depends on who you ask. He has been around here for a long time. James continued, He is harmless if you leave him alone. He has terrorized locals who have crossed him before. I saw him once, right after I first moved here. The bastard tried to break into my chicken coop, so I put up some electric wiring, and right after that, I tried to put some buckshot in its ass. Ethan shook his head. It was the craziest thing. If he hadn't seen it with his own eyes, he would never have believed it. They walked back to their fishing spot together, and fished for a few more hours, much of it in silence. Ethan couldn't shake the feeling that they were being watched. The creature had really shaken him up, but who wouldn't be shook up when you see something that the human mind has a hard time wrapping around? They made it back to James' house in plenty of time to crack open some beers and throw some burgers on the grill. Regardless of his earlier scare, Ethan was really enjoying his time with his brother. They had caught up on recent events in each of their lives, reminisced about their childhood when their parents were still alive and things were easier. After a nice warm buzz had set in, they ventured back to the topic of the beast that lived in the woods. Ethan had to redeem his masculinity after the earlier scene he had made. So in a drunken display, he threw a half-empty beer can towards the forest and challenged the unseen creature. You don't scare me, you ugly bastard. Come on out and show yourself. James laughed at his older brother. You're still the same moron you always were, he chuckled. I was beginning to wonder if that guy was still in there or not, but seems he was just waiting for a few beers to get out. Yeah, Ethan chuckles. I don't get much chance to cut loose back home. Too much responsibility, not to mention I have the kids watching everything I do. With his thoughts suddenly turning in a serious direction, Ethan lost his buzz and began to feel tired. Well, on that note, I think it's time for me to hit the hay. Is it okay if I crash on the couch? Sure. James smiled. He was really enjoying having Ethan there with him. There are some blankets and a pillow in the hall closet. I will be sure to lock the house up tight so old Boggy doesn't try to come in and join you. Ethan smiled and gave him the bird playfully before staggering into the house. It didn't take long for him to pass out with the liquid sedative in his system and he slept like a baby for a few hours. 
It must have been sometime past midnight when a noise woke him. He looked around the room groggily for a minute, thinking he must have imagined it, but as he rolled over and wrapped the worn-out blanket around him, he heard it again. Running down a list in his head of plausible explanations, he came up with a raccoon in the garbage or a mouse in the kitchen. He was trying not to let his imagination take him elsewhere. The front porch creaked loudly and made his heart pick up pace. He told himself that there was no way he could get any more sleep if he didn't get up and run off whatever critter was making so much noise. Throwing his blanket aside, he stood up and quietly made his way to the front door. Most trailers have a tiny rectangular window on the front entrance, but James had replaced the original door with one that had a much larger window. There was a thin curtain covering the non-paned window and Ethan carefully pulled it back. At first, he couldn't see anything, just dark, but suddenly the dark shifted and he was staring into the face of a creature with a head half the size of the window. Ethan dropped the curtain and jumped back. He hadn't even realized he had screamed until James came stumbling out of his bedroom. What happened? He asked while rubbing his eyes. That thing is on the front porch, Ethan whispered. Just then the doorknob began to rattle. Both men stared at it in surprise. When the door didn't budge, a thumping followed and eventually was joined by a frustrated growl. James ran back to his bedroom and came back with his shotgun. I don't think we will need this, but just in case. The creature gave up banging on the door, but made his way around the trailer dumping trash cans and rattling bushes. Occasionally, he would give the trailer walls a few good thumps. It carried on like this until just before sunrise when it finally became silent. Ethan, gathering up his courage, made his way to the door and peeked out the window just in time to see the back of the large hairy creature disappear back into the woods. Ethan turned and looked at his brother with a serious look on his face. I love you, man, but I'm never coming back to Arkansas again. James didn't seem hurt. Instead, he laughed. You should have let him in, man. He probably just wanted a beer. Thank you for listening to Freaky Folklore the podcast about mankind's horrifying legends and myths. Don't forget to follow Freaky Folklore on Spotify and iTunes. If you can, leave the show an honest review on iTunes to help us grow. Freaky Folklore is part of the EerieCast Podcast Network, the home for listeners who love to feel scared. Go to EerieCast.com to find other terrifying podcasts, such as Unexplained Encounters, Tales from the Break Room, and Redwood Bureau. If you would like to submit an encounter or suggestions for future episodes, you can email them to carmencarrion at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook for information on future episodes. Tune in next week as we talk about The Back Rooms, 600 million miles of horror and terrible wallpaper. Until next time, stay safe out there, because this world is a strange one.